This morning I've titled the message, The Beauty of Chastisement. The Beauty of Chastisement. And I want to look out of Hebrews 12 uh, as a reference scripture there. Hebrews 12 and uh, be verse 6 and on to the end of the chapter. But before we go there, I want to think of chastisement a bit. Um, the reason this, this, uh, this subject came to my mind is, uh, you know, I, I think a lot, being a parent, being a dad, um, I think a lot of, and, and having been a son, I think a lot of, of, of chastisement. You know what 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 is what is a uh, what should be our view of chastisement? This this came to my mind an incident that took place a number of years ago. Um, you know, and the question came to my mind: Is this the, is this the the proper view of chastisement? Is it to chase a a child around the yard with a belt? Is that a proper view of chastisement? I saw that happen, um, and I saw that it wasn't really a, a productive uh, form or method of discipline. In this case, the child was terrified. Uh, the father was angry. The mother was shouting encouragement. I don't recall as to where, whether that was to the child or to the father, but she was there at the doorway shouting encouragement. And regardless of that, it was a fiasco. It was not fun to see. The father, you know, is chasing the, this little seven-year-old around and, and flipping a belt at him. And uh, I, I was visiting. I was visiting this this family, and we were having a. I was having a coke with the father and discussing. I knew him pretty well. Discussing some of the issues of life. And um, by the way, it wasn't around here. Uh, and and. Uh, you know, after after the everything was said and done, the, the child had disappeared into the bush, and well, the father came back and sat down, and his face was a little flushed. But in a bit, he was back to drinking coke again, and uh, I was feeling the need of coke because my stomach was feeling kind of nauseous, and you know, I wasn't feeling quite as conversational anymore. But he seemed to think this was a uh, seemed to act like this was a normal part of life, and. You know, I kept catching glimpses of that child. Uh, I saw him sneak in the back door, and then I caught glimpses of him, you know, looking out the front door, kind of peeking around the corner, seeing how things were going out there. And uh, it wasn't—it wasn't a good experience. It wasn't—it uh, wasn't pleasant. And, and in my mind, through my mind, ran the thoughts: you know, it, well, what's going to happen with this young man? Is this chastisement that he received? Is it going to be productive? Is it going to help this young boy to become a man? Uh, would he become a man? You know, he was he was chastened, but he was just a scared little boy. Well, a few years later, I had opportunity to see this yeah, this young boy again. Um, actually, I, I visited his parents' place again. I uh, was there talking with him for a while. Then I asked about their their son. How's he doing? And uh, his father replied, "He's doing good. He's he's doing very good. He's 
attending the Christian school here in the village, and and uh, he's 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 uh, doing very good. And I was real puzzled because I, I didn't expect to hear that. Um, so I knew I knew some other folks in the village, friends of mine, and I also happened to know the teacher. I happened to he told me who his son's teacher was, and I happened to know her, and happened to know that she was not of the persuasion that you should spare the rod. In other words, she believed in using the rod and not spoiling the child. I knew that and um, just wondered, how does this work out? You know, you have a, a boy here that's been chastised in a way that didn't seem at all productive and then he goes to a school and he has a teacher there that that uh, is... Uh, certainly believes in in, in uh, punishing and, and, and in a good way. Uh, I knew her to be very fair and very have a very disciplined and, and uh, loving approach. But still wondered, you know, how, how could this how would this work? Because he, he was a he was a not just a scared little boy, but he's also quite rebellious by the by the time from from what I saw. So I did some inquiring of, of friends and actually I met this little lad on the way home from school and he, his face was different. He had a kind of a um, respectful and bright look on his face and he talked to me and looked at me, which was different from what I'd seen the previous time. And uh, I asked him about school, whether he liked it, and he's yes, I, he does. And, and so I asked him about his teacher if he's now, this is probably not a good question. You teachers are probably grimacing here, but I asked him if he liked his teacher. He was like, "Yeah," and uh, she's. He, you could, I could see from the brightness of his face that he really did. I mean, he really appreciated his teacher as well, which was wonderful. Not that I would have doubted that any other child would have not given me that response, but I wasn't sure what to expect coming from him, having seen the way he was. So, I, so that, that left me feeling a bit more puzzled. You know, what all had transpired? I knew that there had to be a story here somewhere. And uh, so I, I talked to some, some friends that, that knew of the situation quite well in the village. Asked them, told them, you know, I met this young lad on the road and told them that, you know, what I had seen and, and their faces brightened up. And they said, yeah, that was, that was difficult. Uh, Miss so and so had a had quite a time, uh, and their words were that she worked wonders in that little boy's life. Um, he came to school just like he had been there, a scared and rebellious little boy. Uh, but she refused to run after him with the with the rod. She won his she won his trust with her love and. When he was when he was punished, he did it. He came for his punishment voluntarily, and uh, the punishment was administered with love and goodwill. And because of that, he became a very different boy. And not only was the the missed teacher able to help the little boy, but the parents who had at first been very opposed to her. Uh, needing to to discipline their son, 
when they saw the effect of discipline, good chastisement, uh, they were impressed and they wanted to know how this was done. And actually she was able to work between the son and the parents to, to bring about reconciliation and a better relationship. Why am I saying this? Because I firmly believe that when we follow God's design, it works. And I believe that God's design works in our lives. God, God needs to uh, chasten us and we need to have a proper view of what God wants from chastening. In order to appreciate godly chastisement, we have to understand that what God wants that chastisement to produce in our lives. Hebrews 12.6 says this, For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. Verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then ye are, are ye bastards and not sons. Strong's definition of chastisement here is tutorage, education or training, or by implication, disciplinary correction, chastening, chastisement, instruction, nurture. So it doesn't give the idea, like we might think of chastisement, of someone out there with a big stick ready to beat up on anyone who crosses their path, but rather someone there with, like we like it, we've read in, in Psalm 23, says there, uh, He restoreth my soul, He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And then verse 4, Yea, thou walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. It speaks to me of, of a rod and staff comforting. Um, and it has its advantages. Being chastised as a child, as a son or daughter of, of God, has its advantages. And we have to understand that. Um, there, are, there are advantages that come with chastisement. And I'd like to go over four of what I consider the primary advantages of being a chastised child of, of God. Advantage number one, it conveys a sense of ownership. An unchastised is a child without being. You know, no doubt there are many, many children born into legitimate relationships that are treated like it talks here in verse three in verse eight that are treated like bastards and not sons children that are left in front of the tv to be babysat to you know to watch the scum the violence and the senselessness that comes across that screen to be educated by by the the tv or the internet or the street or whatever they're just left they're treated like bastards, even, it, even though they were born in maybe legitimate relationships. 
Maybe they're kicked around in the house and not loved on the street because of their mannerisms. I remember a boy that when we were in Romania that uh, was treated like an unwanted child, like, a, like it says here, a bastard. Um, you could tell his home life was pitiful. He, he, uh, he was mean, was cruel. Uh, he was only—he was just a little boy, not more than six years old. But the the rest of the of the children along our street, you know, they were scared of him, and uh, they 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 played with him some, but at their own peril. And uh, that's what—that's what—that's that's the effect of a child that's not not loved. He's not loved in the house, and he's he's. He's not really appreciated on the street. So being a son, a child of God means that there's a sense of ownership. We're, we're owned by someone. A father that loves his child takes ownership of him or her. He cares for the good of his child. He's concerned that his child make good choices. He's not afraid to use the rod in a loving way to bring about good behavior and a good thought process in his child's life. It's his offspring. His child, and he sees it as a sacred trust. And whether it be an offspring or whether it be adopted as God has adopted us, it doesn't matter. He's taken ownership of that. God exercises ownership of his children. He chastises his children for they're his. They are his own. They are his offspring. They bear his image. They carry his name. And God brings them into his home. So that's advantage number one that I see of, of being chastised, of being chastened of God. Advantage number two, it means we're loved. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. Hebrews 12.6 The Lord doesn't chasten us because he hates us. He doesn't chasten us because he's you know, trying to get rid of us. Uh, that's, I believe, falls into the category of judgment. God does judge. He does bring judgment on on people who who He needs to bring judgment on. That's another subject. But the chastening here, the guiding, the Lord doesn't do that because He hates us. I'm going to share a little story of my wife here. And I didn't tell her I was going to do this. But uh, anyways, I'm going to go ahead. I think she'll be okay with it. Um, and hopefully I won't be chastened when I get home because of it. No, I don't. I'm saying that tongue in cheek. You know, we had a we raised a, a dog, uh, a quite a, a um, high strung dog, a blue healer, and, and that dog um, did more to get punishment than I know of any dog that that we've ever had. You know, but my wife didn't kill our dog when he tore up her good sheets on the clothesline. Uh, she didn't even kill him when he terrorized the cat or tore up shoes. I mean, he did all kinds of things. He ripped up jackets and, and did many other random acts of, of juvenile dog violence. And, uh, you know, she did try to chase him as well as did I. Um, you know, sometimes I even felt chastened just to hear her venting about how bad how frustrating his antics were. Um, however, she claimed him as our dog and hoped for a better day. 
and the better days come. We now have a dog that's overall pretty good. Um, we're, we're pretty happy with him. But in contrast, um, when the groundhog came in the garden and was tearing up the garden, was eating the tomatoes, um, my wife didn't chase in the groundhog. She killed him in true pioneer spirit fashion with a 22. And, uh, you know, there were no bones about it. She didn't go out there and try to swat him and say, no, you need to leave this alone. No, she was, she took care of him, eliminated him. She judged him. Okay, so what was the difference? Well, the dog she claimed as being part of the household and uh, maybe the extended part of the household, but he was nevertheless part of the household. Now, poor Chuck, he didn't fit in there. He was actually an existential threat to the household because he was, you know, eating our tomatoes, our food supply. And so, you know, poor guy, that was his demise. You know, Chuck didn't do nearly as much damage as what Archie the dog did, but that wasn't the point. He wasn't, he wasn't wanted. And the same way with God. God chastens us because he loves us. We're part of his household, and as long as we're there, no matter you know, the frustration that we give him, he's going to keep on chastening us. He's going to keep on bringing us around, bring around his, his will in our lives. He's going to keep doing that. And, and I think of Archie, and I think, you know, really, Archie is a lucky dog. But then again, you know, I think of myself, and I think of, really, I'm a lucky dog in God's household. Aren't I? I'm lucky that I'm in the household of God. He chastens me because he, he loves me. He wants to bring about a work in my life. Advantage three of being chastened. It gives direction. <clears throat> Chastening gives us direction. Psalm 23, 4. Yea, thou walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You know how difficult it is to be lost and need direction, to be just truly lost. I don't, I don't know any of you have been there. I've been there at night in the woods coming out from hunting. I've been there... You know, when I was on the interstate or worse yet, when I was in Mexico and, and not knowing you know, which way we go from here, there's a detour in the traffic and we didn't have things like GPS and so forth. We just had these maps. We're trying to figure out, you know, which way we go from here and you're in six lane deep traffic and, and going through a little town and, or a big town and uh, wondering, you know, where do you go? It's, it's a bad feeling. You want direction and, and you do almost anything to have it. Well, how beautiful it is to have that rod and staff of the Lord to push, to pull, to thump or smack us, to show us the way, to give us direction. You know, and I believe that our willingness to accept the chastisement of the Lord is, is most often linked to our understanding of how really hopelessly lost we are without it. Our willingness to receive the, chast the chastening of the Lord is linked to how much we realize that we're lost without it. 
when we think we know the way, we know what we're doing, and you know, we've got everything mapped out and so forth, you know, we can be hopelessly lost, even, even with that thought in our minds, not realizing that we aren't lost. Um, it's like one of my brothers said about me, I had a, I had a real, uh, a real uh, inclination to, to wander when I got out in the woods. I, I love to go into national forest or wilderness and, and I, I can never just sit in a tree and you know watch a deer for a deer to come. I had to go find them or you know see what was around the next bend or see what's down the next valley. And there's times I covered a lot of ground, and there were a few times that I didn't get to pick back to camp nearly when I said when we you know, arranged to get back to camp or so forth. And my oldest brother Murray, especially, he'd give me a hard time. Where were you at? And I say, well, I was, uh, you know, back there and, and around and. Uh, you mean you were lost back in there? No, no, I'd say I wasn't lost. And he's like, well, you just didn't know where you were at then. Is that what it was? <laughs> and, um, you know, he, he thought that was pretty funny because I wasn't lost, but I didn't know where I was at. And, uh, you know, we're often we're that way. We're, we're, at least I am, you know, I think I, think I know where I'm at, but, but uh, it takes God, God's chastening to really wake me up to, to make me realize. I think that's how we all are, to, that really um, we're hopelessly lost without His direction. His chastening gives direction to His children. And He has a divine plan for His children, for His own. I think of, of Paul on the Damascus Road. He knew where he was going. He knew what he was going to do. He had his plan all mapped out. And, and God said, now wait a minute, Paul. I have another direction for you. I think of Peter. You know, Peter was a, a man of ambition, a man that uh, wasn't scared of anything, I don't believe. And yet, you know, he had that awful, humiliating failure in denying the Lord. I think that's where Jesus really woke Peter up and said, Peter, you're not sufficient of yourself. You need direction. I think of Thomas being chided for not believing the report that the Lord had risen. You know, he was not going to believe it, not unless he saw it, so forth. And 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 Jesus chided him and and told him, Thomas, now wait. You 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 need to have faith. You need to to believe. Also think of David on the run from his king, even after having done his best to show his fidelity. You know, it seems to me David must have often wondered there, what in you know, what is going on? I'm doing my very best to fulfill God's plan, what you know, what Samuel told me and so forth. And I and I think that really God was trying to bring David around to a deeper relationship, to to really trusting that God can lead him hour to hour. He doesn't need to look way ahead. Uh, and I'm sure there's lots and lots of other lessons David learned. And uh, Moses is another example that I think of in the desert. You know, a man with a lot of training, a man with a lot of possibilities, um, and he's put out in the desert and then even worse yet, he's called out to lead a rebellious 
people out of slavery. Um, you know, he learned a lot. Moses learned a lot in the desert, but I expect that he learned a whole lot more yet when he was leading the children of Israel out of Egypt and through the desert and so forth. But God gave direction there. God said, you know, do it this way. And that divine direction is so much better than what any direction that can come from within ourselves or of ourselves. Then Joseph in jail, because he refused to do wrong, he did the right thing and landed in jail for it. Um, would have seemed to me that he could have thought, this is not what was mapped out for me. This is not where I wanted to go. God, you know, God took him in and let him be in that jail for a time. And you may look at the, those these examples and say, you know, well, were those really chastening? Were they really experiencing chastisement? I believe they were. They were under God's tutorage. You know, whether they were being beaten or not, no, I don't. They weren't being beaten, but they were being disciplined. They, God was putting a discipline in place for them and, and giving them direction. He had a plan, and He brought that about, brought about His purpose in their lives. The chastisement here in Hebrews means to me direction, purpose, and fulfillment. Fulfillment being the result of direction and purpose. Without this chastisement in our lives, we'd be without direction, without purpose, and be unfulfilled. And that's not a good alternative. That's not what I want or what you want, I trust. We can look at these heroes of faith and say, wait a minute, God chastened them in special ways because He had big plans for them. And true, He did. He had big plans for them. But God has a plan for each of us. It may not be quite as big, quite as glamorous, quite as noticeable, or quite as torturous. But it's a fulfilling plan nonetheless. And He's, we can depend on it. If we're going to be part of His plan, He's going to chasten us. He's going to shape us. Advantage four, it humbles our opinion of ourselves. Chastening humbles our opinion of ourselves and prepares us for a much larger and more valuable service. That kind of ties in with, with advantage three. It causes us to look to God instead of ourselves. You know, the idea that is so per pervasive in our society that, that all that we need is within us is simply not true. It is not true. True. The Bible says we need Jesus as Savior. The Bible says we need the indwelling of the Holy Spirit as comfort, comforter and guide. And the Bible says that we need the body of Christ, brothers and sisters born of God as fellow members to live according to God's divine plan. You know, to believe that we have all that we need within and of ourselves is like saying that a cannibal could sustain himself by eating his own flesh. I don't think that's far-fetched. To say that we can, you know, we can uh, have all that we need within and of ourselves is like seeing, you know, this cannibal out there on his own without any sustenance around him can live on himself. You know, and that, that's the idea that's put out. And that's the way we seem to live sometimes. We, you know, it's, it's my plan. It's how I want to do things. And it's 
whatever. And we just, you know, draw in, draw in, draw in and get more and more uh, void of, of substance. There are times we need Father God to smack us with His rod and bring us in line and help us understand that we need Him. We need His body. We need His Spirit. <clears throat> and thinking of that, I, I think back to Peter again. You know, certainly it must have been very humbling for him to be brought to the realization of just how weak he really was there when he denied the Lord. You know, I expect out on the ship, dragging in the nets of fish and steering the sea vessel through the storm that Peter was a man among men. In my mind's eyes, I can see, you know, those, those biceps flex as he pulled in the, the, the nets. Uh, I can see the weathered and tanned skin, you know, from days and nights out on the sea. I can see the eyes of one who will suffer no foolishness on the part of his crew. You know, I can see the bravery of one who is courageously, who has courageously braved the elements and, and, and has won and has lived to tell about it. The only disciple to walk on water. But then the cop crew and Peter wept bitterly. He had denied his Lord. His strength had failed him in the hour of greatest need. He was of in, in himself weak. And then Paul, a man with purpose, a man with zeal and ambition, you know, having his figurative eyes knocked from out of under him or out of in front of him by this blinding light. You know, he was Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was the one that could teach the others. And then, you know, coming to the realization that he had been seeing things all wrong. Um, he was weak in and of himself. He was humbled. And then I look into my own life, the realization that without God's working, really, I'm only an oversized crow. You know, I'm flying here and there. I'm collecting this little thing and that little trinket, attempting to build my nest, to do my thing, feed my family, and so forth, and thinking that I have the way, the direction, and I need God's chastening hand. You know, what does it take for me to hear the voice of God saying, I need you to deliver some bread to the prophet Elijah who's out there all on his own in the wilderness? You know, thinking of the crow. Um, what does it take for God to get that through to me? God chastens us. He knows where we're weak and He, he, uh, he humbles us and brings about an ability within us, not one that we have on our own, but He brings His own ability to, to make us useful. Chastisement from God humbles us of our, own, of our own sufficiency and it helps us to see God's sufficiency and to work through His sufficiency. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12.9, my grace is... He said, he said this of, of what uh, Christ had told him when he was complaining to Christ about this, this weakness that he had, this thorn he had. 
And Christ said, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's response, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my, in my, in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and in reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then, I'm, then am I strong. That is a tremendous testimony. That's one that I don't, I don't uh, pretend to really fully understand, much less entirely live. It's one that I look up to, though. <clears throat> Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I take pleasure in infirmities. For when I am weak, then, I'm, then am I strong. For when I am weak in myself, then am I strong. When I am humbled, when I am chastened uh, by my Father, when I am shown who I really am, and given that sufficient grace of God, then am I strong in, in, in Christ. In conclusion, is, is chastisement God's vengeance on His children? No, I don't think so. I think that falls under judgment. Uh, it's His way of directing, of, of bringing about purpose in His children's lives. Is chastisement God's way of giving direction, purpose, and fulfillment to our lives? Yes, that's, that was the answer. Yes, it is. It's, it's about, it's about uh, making our lives useful. Is it joyous? Is chastisement joyous? And I would say, um, no, it's not always joyous. I would, I'm sure you would say the same. Is it rewarding? Yes. And will we understand <laughs> chastisement when it's taking place? You know, this is a, a big question. You know, something comes our way, like Job, for example. Uh, hopefully we don't have Job types of things that come our way because those are quite elevated. But let's say the things that come our way. And we may have Job things that will come our way. Uh, so we need, need to be prepared. But, you know, it's, it's hard for us to understand. Is this chastisement? What is this? What's exactly taking place? What's, what's God trying to teach me? Will we understand it? I'm not sure if we always will. Uh, I think there's a lot of times that we need to just just sit back and uh, take the ride. Um, you know, not not saying that we should be going to oblivion or in denial or something like that. But I think that there's there's times when we overanalyze when we need to just sit back and 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 um, you know look at the long view. Uh, say, God, you know, teach me, but not try to come to a conclusion overnight. Is every form of sorrow, loss, or disappointment a form of chastisement? And I would say probably not. There's a time to be born and a time to die, says Ecclesiastes. So there's, we have, our lives are about a span, and, and we're going to have, we're going to have trials, we're going to have, there's going to be death. There's going to be disappointment. So probably not every form of sorrow, loss, or disappointment is, is a chastisement. However, we can rest assured that even in the time in those times, 
that the, the rod and the staff are there, still there to comfort us. The same rod and staff that can be used to maybe smack us will be there to comfort us, to bring about, um, to give us even direction and, and, and even joy in those times. So again, what is the beauty of chastisement? It's the evidence of our being in the household of God. It's, it's the evidence that to know that He's caring for us, that God's caring for us, and that His will is being perfected in our lives. We're not the child on the street. We're not a bastard son or daughter. We're wanted. It's the knowledge that we're loved, and that even as our own inadequacies become more apparent, the awareness that God's fullness is growing in us, in our being. Then I'd like to close with these three verses out of Romans 8. And then in closing, Brother Dan, would you, would you close this service in? Romans 8, verse 15 through 17. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with Him, that we may be also glorified together. If so be that we suffer with Him, or that we're chastened with Him, that we experience that chastening, that we may be also glorified together. We're joint heirs with Christ. That is a wonderful promise. That chastening is not without its reward, without its effect. God bless you as you enjoy the beauty of, of chastisement, of being part of God's household.